All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter number 14. And Revelation chapter 14, I've entitled the message tonight, A Glimpse of Light. And after Revelation chapter 13, um, you, this, this is all about the blasphemy uh, and, and how the beast, the dragon, uh, the, the other beast will uh, set himself up. And uh, boy, it, it was a really a dark chapter if you think about it and, uh, and how wickedness will, uh, will really take over in the world. And so uh, this evening in Revelation chapter 14, we get a glimpse of light. We continue in the parenthetical chapter which are shedding light on the overall picture of things and are not part of the timeline, but they do help us understand the timeline of events, uh, but are not considered the next step in the timeline. And you will remember that we left off on the second woe, the sixth trumpet in Revelation chapter 9 and verse number 13. Then, of course, the introduction is made in Revelation 11, 14, and 15 that the third woe or the seventh trumpet will come quickly. So it is to come, uh, but then he goes, continues in the parenthetical statement, and that doesn't fully get explained until chapter 16, uh, that third and final woe, the seventh trumpet, and the seven vials are contained in that seventh trumpet. So we'll see that, and uh, I, I know that was a lot of information, but in the, our timeline, a scope of events, uh, we had those, uh, well, we'll go over that here in a minute, but let's go to our text, Revelation chapter 14. In verse number one, the Bible says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, and as many as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women uh, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for your, for your word that we can study, God, that we can look into. God, I pray that you'd give us again clarity of mind, clarity of heart, and understanding, Father, as we look into your word and uh, try and grasp future things, future events that are taking place or will take place. And uh, God, I pray that you would just give us, uh, again, good understanding of all these things. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. And we'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. 
As, uh, as we look at this chapter tonight, uh, again, we, we, have, we're, we have yet to see those seven vials or the third woe uh, unfold. And so uh, just kind of to recap, let's go back for a minute. We've seen um, a, there's a threefold release of seven. So there's basically seven, seven, seven. All right. Uh, you can keep that in mind. The first seven uh, were those uh, seals that were on the book. Uh, those that was in Revelation chapter six. You'll remember. We covered them, and in that uh, was the four horses. Remember the white horse, red horse, black horse, and I think the pale horse. And, uh, and then after that uh, were, were, were two other seals uh, that were opened. And then the seventh seal, when that seventh seal was opened, uh, there were seven angels with trumpets. Okay, So you're with me. We had the seven seals open. That seventh seal opened, and it brought forth uh, seven angels with trumpets. Okay, and we went, we've gone through all of those, almost all of those angels, except for the seventh angel. We have yet to see that. He, he did say, it cometh quickly, uh, but it has yet to be fully described, and that will be laid out for us. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, in Revelation chapter number 16, uh, you'll see that fully unfolded as the final uh, trumpet that will 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 blast or will sound, and then there will be uh, seven vials that are contained in that one. And, uh, and so really you have a threefold unfolding of sevens, and I hope that helps clarify a little bit uh, with all of that. Uh, Revelation 13 uh, really painted a somber, drab, dark scene of uh, the blasphemy with the beast that was coming out of the sea and the beast that came out of the earth and, and how they uh, really got the world to worship the dragon. And, uh, and we looked at how blasphemous it was, where Satan basically sets up his trinity, uh, his, his false trinity, in mockery of that of the trinity of the Godhead. And, uh, and so all of that is interesting. But chapter 14 now paints a little bit of a brighter picture for us with a glimmer of hope. And, uh, and of course, we see the lamb that stood on Mount Sion. And, uh, and, and so there's, uh, there's the picture of the Lord as she comes down and he is standing then on Mount Sion. And, uh, and notice with me in, in these chapters, it becomes very prominent, those 144,000 messengers. And, uh, and I believe they're Jewish messengers. Uh, go back with me to Revelation chapter 7, and, uh, and let's look at them when they are laid out here. We have, in my mind, I have no reason to believe this is a new or a different set of 144,000. They're very similar in attributes and, and name here, but, um, but we have a number that, that's been given to us for uh, at least two different times here. So Revelation chapter 7, and look with me in verse number 2 as they're described. It says there, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousands, uh, four thousand, excuse me, of all the tribes of the children 
of Israel. Let me just stop here. And I think I mentioned this before. There were several religions, false religions, who claimed that this was their group. And, uh, and, and they claimed that all the way up until their number surpassed 144,000. Then they said, I'm not sure that's us anymore. Um, and, and it became kind of problematic because they had passed that number. And, and so uh, I think the Bible's pretty literal. Matter of fact, the Bible's pretty clear in this passage uh, because look with me in verse number four. Uh, it says at the bottom of that, uh, all the tribes of the children of Israel, look in verse five, of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000 and of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. It goes down and it names Asher, uh, um, Nephthalim, uh, Manassas and Simeon and Levi and all these tribes that are mentioned. We talked about that way back in chapter seven and, and I have no reason to believe that these are not uh, Jewish people. And so fast forward again back to our chapter 14 and verse number one there. Um, it, it says at the, at the bottom of that verse, uh, 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. Well, you'll notice back in seven that the angels were saying, wait, don't hurt the earth until we finish sealing these saints. And so uh, it's very possible these, these angels were then sealing the name of the Father in their foreheads. Now this is all going to get very important throughout this chapter and it, it becomes very, uh, very interesting as we look at it. And we'll talk about a few things, but uh, just notice that uh, these, I believe, I have no reason not to believe that they're the same 144,000 that was referenced in Revelation chapter 7 that is very clearly the nation of Israel. And so uh, I just want to point that out. Go with me as well. Save your spot there in Revelation. Go with me again. And we pointed this out way back when we covered Revelation chapter 7. Go with me to Romans chapter number 11. And we see here uh, a verse. And, and again, I just want to point this out. Romans chapter number 11 and verse number 25 the Apostle Paul, we went through the book of Romans, and, uh, and, and boy, he deals a lot with uh, being Jew or being Greek or being Gentile or being, uh, being anything, and he covers all of that. And, uh, and in chapter 11, uh, look with me in verse number 25, he says this, he says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. When is, when is that fullness of the Gentiles? Now, I don't know exactly, but I know this. The Bible says that, that God brought, when in the fullness of time, when he deemed it necessary, brought forth his son, Jesus Christ, in the world. That fullness of time would have been, hey, the right time and the completion of time. That he said, hey, now is the time to bring forth my son into the world. And so in the fullness of the time of the Gentiles seems to indicate perhaps a closing of a time frame when the when the Gentiles, uh, the door for the Gentiles can be closed. That's kind of how I'm looking at that. 
Uh, again, uh, that's what it seems to indicate. Uh, and look with me what he goes on to say. He says, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And, uh, and so I'm just saying God clearly lays out the fact that he is not done with the nation of Israel here in the book of Romans. And, uh, and so go back with me to Revelation chapter 14. And we established this a while ago, um, but, but I just wanted to just kind of re, uh, revisit this since they were brought up again here in Revelation chapter 14. Notice this, uh, in, in verse number 1, it says, um, His Father's name written in their foreheads. These are sealed saints. Um, and we'll notice within our context as we go further down, they will not partake in the number of 666 being embedded in their hand nor in their forehead. Uh, we'll cover that a little bit further down in the chapter. It's going to bring that back up and talk about that. But these guys are labeled uh, with the name of God in their forehead. And uh, is it visible? Is it invisible ink? I don't know. Uh, the Bible is not clear. All we know is that, hey, they are sealed and they do have a mark. Is it visible to the world? Is it visible only to God? Again, uh, I don't know. Uh, but I do know this, that it's very clear that they are marked. Notice this in verses 2 and 3. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers, I like this phrase, of harpers harping with their harps. All right. And uh, that's an interesting phrase. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I, I was reading too somewhere that uh, uh, this is where we get the idea that angels set up in heaven and play harps. All right. Uh, and, and that's hey, they there are harps in heaven. There are musical. Maybe we ought to buy one and get get advanced, you know, get started now with lessons. And I think when we get to heaven, I think we'll just all make we play if God wants it. So uh, but but nonetheless, um, they'll be playing harps. Um, I have to tell you this because I've never seen this before in my life, but I was in uh, Paraguay and uh, while I was down there, they had this gentleman that could play the harp um, absolutely marvelous. I've never seen somebody play a harp before. And, and this guy, he had, I mean, it looked like the harp. It was the whole big thing and everything. And man, this guy played the harp like, like nobody's business. I, I mean, I bought his CD and I don't just do that, uh, but, but this guy's harp music was incredible. Uh, and he played it. And so they're going to be playing the harps there. Um, they're they're going to be singing. They're, uh, these sealed saints, notice this in verse number three, because it's interesting. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. Let me just say this, uh, that this song of praise that they're singing to this harp music is a, is a unique song. 
And, uh, and, and as I think about that, I, well, how, how unique is it that, that no one else can learn it? Matter of fact, nobody knows uh, the song and they will be able to learn it. Let me just share with you this, a small perspective that will help you perhaps understand. I, I think that perhaps the words you may be able to learn, but its significance and its meaning uh, may not mean the same to you as it would mean to them. You cannot learn the song. Um, when I was a missionary... One thing that, that stood out to me, and, and still to this day kind of stands out, is when we would get together every, every year, if we were happened to be home on furlough, every year they had missions training school. And I enjoyed going to those uh, for merely this, that a bunch of missionaries would get together and we would talk. And it didn't matter if, if he spoke Tagalog and I spoke Spanish and he spoke um, um, Give me another language, uh, Asian, Chinese, Russian, whatever. It didn't matter the language that we had, our secondary language that we had to learn. We would come together and there were experiences that we had experienced that nobody else in the world had experienced. Because just moving to another culture and raising your family in another culture and planting in a church in a culture that is not your culture is an experience that as many stories as I can tell and as much experience as I can share, it doesn't have the same justice and weight to you as it would to another missionary. Because they've been there and they've done that. Just like um, we get together at pastors' fellowships, and man, I, I enjoy fellowshipping with other pastors. Why? Because we have in common the same thing. Just like you get together on Sunday, and, and you run into other people that have gone out and worked all week in the world, just like you have, and it's refreshing to be amongst other Christians and share the same experiences. We have that bond and that unity. And these 144,000 are going to go through something very unique to the tribulation period that, that honestly, we can't understand. Um, and, and unless you go through something like that, even soldiers, soldiers tend to bond. Why? Because, man, they have been through the same training. Uh, they, have, they have unique experiences that automatically bond them and they appreciate one another for the training, the sacrifice, the discipline uh, that, that has been instilled in them uh, in whatever branch of service that they are in. And so there's those unique experiences that draw together. So we find that these 144,000 have a song that they will be able to sing that will correlate immediately with them. And, uh, and they will sing that uh, in heaven before the throne. And so we have that song of praise there. We have those sealed saints. And then notice this, the state of their purity here in verses 4 through 5. The Bible says, these are they which, are not which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Let me just say this, that God is not saying that intimacy within the bounds of marriage is defiling. Um, that would be an obvious uh, contradiction with Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 4. But it speaks to their complete dedication to God. In that they are not concerned with earthly things whatsoever. When, when you are single and, and you do not have a spouse, uh, then listen, you have no other care in the world but to care for God. 
Paul talks about that. He says, I wish that you were as I uh, and that you would be single so that you could care for the things of God. That's, and he's not saying that marriage is wrong by any stretch of the imagination. God ordained and set up marriage in the book of Genesis. We go back and we can find that and follow that and we understand that. But nonetheless, these fellas, uh, these people have remained uh, single and they are, they are just completely uh, dedicated to God. There's no responsibility of taking care of a spouse. There's no responsibility of taking care of children. They are 100% focused on uh, being dedicated to God. And, uh, and look at what it says there as he goes down through in verse number four. Um, not only that, but he says, These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Um, and then I love this statement. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And so these are those who, uh, being redeemed, hey, they have been saved. Being redeemed means to be bought back. And, uh, and so they are saved. Uh, they are people who have uh, trusted the Lord as their own personal Savior. And it says the first fruits there. Um, and, and listen, um, I believe that's the first fruits of the tribulation, those that are saved during the tribulation period. The angels go down through and they're sealing their heads and, uh, and, 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 you know, however uh, that all takes place, it's very clearly drawn out here that they are redeemed, therefore they are saved. And, uh, and so we see all of that take place as they, they mention all of this uh, one after the other here in, of these, these Jewish 144,000 that are separated to God. And uh, they're following the Lamb. And, uh, and so we covered all of that as far as those. Notice now the angelic messengers. Uh, in chap chapter 14, verses 6 down through 12, uh, there are some angelic messengers that are brought out. And look with me in verse number 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters." I want you to notice this about these angelic messengers. I find it very fascinating because they say here in verse number six, we see salvation. He talks about the everlasting gospel. Um, and listen, I believe that's none other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about redeemed being uh, up above. He talks about the everlasting gospel that, hey, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, uh, that's been mentioned in the book of Revelation. And so that is the gospel that's being proclaimed. I believe it's a singular gospel that is given. Uh, the Old Testament saints, we know, were saved by looking forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. We in the New Testament, we look back to the cross of Jesus Christ and those that are, are saved even in the tribulation period will also trust in the Lamb of God. 
And as the Bible says here, they'll be redeemed, uh, just as it mentions there in verse number three, and it does reference several times uh, the lamb. And so uh, we see that singularity of the true gospel. Uh, notice this, I find this fascinating, and I, I really don't know exactly what to make of all of this, but the Bible says in verse number six, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And uh, I find it fascinating. Now, is that angel going to go to men and give that message to men, and, and those 144,000 then are to witness uh, or is that angel himself going to proclaim the gospel? Uh, and I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I do know this. I find this fascinating that at the close of the gospel of Matthew, chapter number 28, that Jesus uh, gives the disciples, the first church there, the commission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every nation. But we find that that church is drawn out then, and it's no longer mentioned. So, uh, so then who is responsible for, the, for getting the gospel out at that point? Uh, and I believe that Jesus, uh, or God, has the Jews and has several witnesses. We've noticed them. Uh, we've noticed them in Revelation chapter 7 with that 144,000. We noticed them in the, uh, I forget what chapter it was, but where it mentions the two witnesses that have uh, great power. And God gives to them great ability to be able to prophesy and do things on the world that, uh, that other people, that you and I cannot do. And, uh, and they are to witness of the salvation of God. And, uh, and so, uh, again, we find it, I just find it intriguing that this angel here uh, has the everlasting gospel to preach to them, unto them, that dwell on the earth to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And I love this, and worship him that made heaven and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. And we find, listen, that is the same God that we worship and serve. Hey, hey listen, they're still preaching the same God, uh, the creator God. And I find it fascinating that they bring that out because, boy, I could see in our, in our one world government that, that, that is to come, uh, boy, they could just be Mother Earth. Um, you know, save the planet Earth and we have to do all we can to save the environment and this and that and, and forget creation and forget God. They, they, they want all of that out from, they want out from under all of that and therefore they'll proclaim all this other stuff of, of evolution and, and all of that so that they don't have to worship or acknowledge that there is a God. And so here we are in the book of Revelation, and they're proclaiming again the very beginning in the book of Genesis, God that created the heaven and the earth and everything that is. And so I find that very fascinating as he talks about that. Um, and so I just wanted to note that as well. Uh, we're looking at these angelic me messengers. Look at here in verse number eight as we continue. And there followed another angel... So a different angel saying, Babylon is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
And I just mentioned this, that uh, this is covered in, in chapter 17 and 18 more thoroughly. And, uh, and Babylon is always represented as wicked and evilness and leading others into wickedness. And, uh, and so uh, we'll look at that more in depth in chapter 17 and chapter 18, but it does refer and reference that, that, hey, that has taken place. Uh, look with me in chapter, verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. And I found this fascinating because there's a great warning there. Uh, about that, be the mark of the beast. And we, of course, covered that at the end of chapter 13, uh, that, that it is 666, uh, whether it's in the forehead, whether it's in the hand. And we talked about that, whether it's digital, whether it's a visible mark. Uh, we don't know, but there's many ways that that could come about, but it will be brought about. And, and when it does, uh, I want you to notice that those 144,000, they will not receive that mark. Matter of fact, they are witnesses during that time. Uh, could you imagine how easy soul winning would be at this time? Knock on the door. Hey, do you got the mark? Yeah, we got the mark. Okay, have a nice day. I mean, there's no sense giving them the gospel because the Bible is very clear. Uh, those that receive the mark, hey, they're, they're, the wrath and the indignation of God is going to be poured out upon them. They've already believed a lie. And, and so, uh, man, it's going to be kind of unique uh, in that aspect as far as being a witness and being a testimony. Nonetheless, God, for his purposes and for his plans, does have a remnant, does have a witness that he leaves here on the earth. And so uh, they are there. And, um, and so we see that, that uh, as we look here, we see those that are, are warned, hey, once they receive the mark, there's no reversal. Uh, they, they are wholly involved, wholly invested, and irreconcilably lost uh, because they have bought into that system. And, and uh, listen, nothing in their mind will be convinced otherwise. The Bible is very clear in these verses uh, that they that, that receive that, that mark, uh, they worship the beast, uh, it goes down in verse number 10 and it says, He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And listen, this is talking about eternal damnation. Uh, these verses substantiate the existence of hell and the lake of fire where they will be cast for all eternity. And, uh, and so uh, we understand that, that there's no escape for them. And, uh, and, and we ought to uh, be aware that, hey, hell is a real place. It's not a false place. 
Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. And that these who receive the mark, these who uh, worship the beast, uh, will, be, uh, will be cast there. They're not the only ones as we know. That's why Jesus gave such a strong warning in the New Testament. He said, hey, if, you're, if your hand is keeping you from going to heaven, then cut your hand off. You'd be better off going throughout life with, with one hand uh, and going to heaven than, than to be damned and take both of your hands and go to hell. And he said that, he used that same idea, that same principle, uh, multiple times in Mark chapter 9. And so uh, hell is a very real place. And he gives great warning uh, about that place. And it's, it's associated with the wrath of God which is poured out upon them. So uh, we just note that in those verses there's a warning uh, to those that worship the beast. A warning to those uh, that, that will receive the mark. And the sad thing is, they're, gonna, they're, not, they're not interested in this. Uh, they're going to they're gonna be following whatever one world government that's going to be put out, whatever leaders, whatever smooth-tongued beast that's going to come through and convince them of otherwise. And, uh, and he's going to cause them to worship the beast. And, and so they'll be completely um, ignorant, really, of the word of God. And, uh, and, and but I, I think this all the time. I think, well, how can they be ignorant? There's lots of preaching that's on the Internet. You know how fast you could wipe out the Internet? Um, just a click of a button and delete and, uh, uh, you know, the, all that information will be lost. And, uh, and I often thought, well, man, you know, make videotapes and set them aside. I mean, those, those aren't going to last forever either. I mean, the reality is there's going to be such chaos throughout the tribulation period that much of the, the means and, and things that we think, well, we should do this to forewarn people, um, there's no guarantee that that'll be around. Uh, and that all could be wiped out. And so uh, God does have his witnesses uh, and he does have people here. But uh, but the reality is much of those people will be swayed and they'll believe the deception of the beast, uh, as we saw in the last chapter. So he gives them a strong warning here. Notice in verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep. I love this. The commandments of God. And the faith of Jesus. Notice there it is the faith of Jesus. That is the saving uh, of Jesus Christ. But then also, uh, listen, those commandments. Uh, and, and listen, uh, that, that wholeheartedly refers to the entirety of the word of God. But also, very clearly, would go back and indicate, hey, these are many Jewish Christians uh, that will still retain their Judaism. Uh, they'll still practice it. It's part of their culture. It is part of their definition of who they are. It's just, uh, it just is what they do. And so they will continue to do those things, but their faith will be placed in Jesus Christ. And so we see a salvation that is there. And he says this is their patience, that they'll uh, be patient in all of that. Uh, go with me to Galatians. Save your spot here in, in uh, Revelation. Go with me to Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter number 2, verses 15 and 16. Galatians is an awesome book. It really is. Apostle Paul writes the book of Galatians to convince the, uh, the Jewish Christians that, hey, you are not saved by the keeping of the law. 
uh, but you're saved by faith. Uh, and many of the Jews, they, they really struggled with that. And they, they had gotten saved, but then it just bothered them that they were not keeping, that, that the Gentile Christians were not keeping the law of the Old Testament. So they'd go back and say, no, you need to do this and do this and do this. And, and that's what the law of the Old Testament says. Well, the book of Galatians was really written uh, to help us as Gentile believers understand we are not under the law of the Old Testament. That means effectively that we can eat bacon for breakfast. Amen. Uh, we can have ham. Uh, and that's, that's part of the laws of the Old Testament. Uh, and and I, I joke about it, but it's true. Uh, that's a very real thing. Uh, we spent some time in Israel, and you know what? There was no bacon. Uh, there was no ham. We, we didn't see any the entire time that we were there. Um, there's a lot of Jewish laws about wearing mixed clothes. I'm wearing some, I don't even know what this shirt is, par partially recycled plastic. And uh, I'm sure that's against Jewish law. Uh, I mean, they were careful about mixing their, 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 their clothing. I mean, you could only wear, uh, you know, cotton. You wouldn't mix cotton and, and wool or something like that. Uh, they were, there's laws about all of that. Go back and read Leviticus and, and Exodus. There are laws about all of that. Um, and so uh, I'm just saying they, they, they thought, hey, you know, if you're saved, great. But now you need to obey the Old Testament, too. And, and Galatians was written saying, no, that's not required. Look with me in Galatians chapter number two and verse number 15. The Apostle Paul writes this, and he was a Jew. He was, matter of fact, a, a, a high up Jew, a Pharisee, the Bible even says. But look with me in verse number 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. He will cover that a little bit later, so we don't want to let that slide today. But uh, he says this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And, uh, and so we understand that that's not talking about, you know, doing, keeping the commandments of God for salvation. That faith in Jesus is the salvation. You remember when Peter got saved and... Uh, and, and, and God gave him a vision and lowered down uh, all the unclean animals and said, eat, Peter. And Peter said, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. If you grew up that way and you grew up adhering to an Old Testament law, it'd be very difficult for you to say, I'm going to try pork or I'm going to try bacon or I'm going to try ham. You just, I mean, your whole life has been spent. That's wrong. I'm not touching that. That's unclean. I won't eat that animal. And so there, you could see how uh, they, they don't count on that for their salvation, but they would continue to live that way. Um, and, and that would be normal for all practical purposes. And, uh, and so we see them, uh, that their faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and yet they keep the commandments of God. Look with me in verse number 13. And we get to the end of the chapter here, we see the sickle. And, uh, and, and there's, some, there's a lot of information here, but we'll kind of go through it rather quickly. But notice here in verse 13, he says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. 
And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now I want to stop right here just for a moment and point out the Son of Man. Um, we've seen, the Bible talks about, you remember when we opened the book of Revelation, it, it says uh, the vision of Jesus Christ, and we want to see Jesus Christ throughout the book of Revelation. We've seen him as the Lord, we've seen him as the Lamb, we've seen him as the Creator, we've seen him in, in all different roles, and notice here that he's pointed out as the Son of Man. Um, and again, that's not the redemptive lamb, but that is the son of man, as in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously. But he's pictured with that, that crown upon his head. And that would be the authority. And the son of man would be, hey, uh, somebody that's there to work. He has a sickle in his hand. And, and we find harvest time and judgment that is about to take place uh, in these verses. And so he has a crown and he has in his hand a sharp sickle. Verse 15, and another angel uh, came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle and on the earth and the earth was reaped. And so we find a reaping there, and that reaping is equivalent of the, uh, the harvest of the grain. And there are those that are, are saved that are uh, pulled out of the earth. And, uh, and again, th these, are, these are clarifiers, and so not a chronological timeline that we're looking at, uh, but there is the thrusting in of the sickle and the reaping of the harvest of those who are saved. So I just want to point that out. Notice this next harvest is different because it's not that of wheat or grain. Uh, but look at what he says in verse number 17. He says, And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry from him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridle, bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. And, uh, and so that second reaping of a harvest is that of the wrath of God. It is the grapes, uh, as you notice, that are, are harvested. And when they're thrown into that press, then they are pressed. And that is all represents very clearly the wrath of God. We see that throughout Scripture. This is not a new thing that it comes up, but it's been represented time and time in the past uh, as the judgment of God, just as wheat and grain harvest has been represented for those that are saved, uh, going to heaven and being uh, pulled out. And so we definitely see that as well. And, uh, and so I just want to point out those two distinct um, illustrations that he uses there in that sickle. So we see the Son of Man, uh, we see the time to reap the, the wheat, uh, and then we see the time to uh, reap the, the grapes as well, and then the wrath of God. And then verse 20 is the uh, reference to the Battle of Armageddon. 
And, uh, and I sat down the other day and, and I was running a bunch of numbers and I thought, man, I'm going to figure out, you know, how many, uh, how much blood uh, that would be there as far as cubic feet and how much blood in a cube, uh, how much cubic feet of blood in a person and how many people it would take to die and figure out the population. And so I, I crunched a whole bunch of numbers and got it all down. And then I realized I was missing a number. And all my math was in vain. So I won't even give you the number uh, because I, I don't know. And I think God leaves a lot of details out for us not to know. Uh, I don't think God really uh, wants us to know specifically everything, every detail. And, uh, and so I found it interesting. Uh, but, but that verse 20 is definitely a reference there uh, to the battle of Armageddon that will come when the wrath of God is poured out on this earth. And so, uh, so hopefully that just helps you give an, get an idea uh, of chapter 14. Again, these are parenthetical statements. And so they're just adding information uh, uh, to help us understand the entirety of the book of Revelation. And so I hope and pray that that is helpful to you as, uh, as we look at that. And a little bit of a brighter picture, not so much the blasphemy that Satan set up in chapter 13, but rather uh, coming full, full picture around and, and Jesus uh, ending with a great battle in which we know that we will be victorious and, uh, and he will be victorious. And so, uh, again, a little bit of a brighter picture in Revelation chapter number 14. Uh, one of the things that you can clearly take away is this, uh, that hell is a real place. Boy, we need to be concerned for lost people. And, uh, and boy, if the trumpet were to sound tomorrow, if the trumpet were to sound today, then we all know lost people. And what a sad day that would be for them as they would go into that tribulation period. And it would be uh, really the Bible is very clear that there will be a strong delusion that will be sent. And very, it paints a very bleak picture of very few people being saved. Uh, 144,000, um, of course, of those Jews is, is very much so mentioned and numbered, but that's the only number we have. But again, that's a small drop in the bucket of a world population of currently we're 7 billion, 8 billion. I, I lose track. They, they, it keeps growing. And, uh, and, and again, a lot of that will be wiped out. I mean, there'll be earthquakes. We look at the beginning of the, uh, the first part of the tribulation. And, and even in that time, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be famines, there'll be wars, men will die. And, uh, and, and boy, a lot of things are going to change very rapidly. And, uh, and, and I'm, uh, I just think, boy, we need to be about the Father's business, reaching the lost and uh, encouraging people to know the Lord while... Uh, while there's still time and while there's a great opportunity for them to be saved. And so uh, we certainly need to encourage others uh, to trust the Lord. So be sure to pass out tracts. Let's stand to our feet and um, we'll have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, thank you for our salvation. God, we know as believers, God, we're grateful that we trust you, that we know you as our personal Savior and God, that we can have that surety of our salvation. What a blessing. And God, yet there's many people who do not know you. And God, the end times is a very troubled time. A lot of information, God, will be so skewed and messed up. 
And I could only imagine a world where all the believers are pulled out. And what a, what a treacherous day when the work of the Holy Spirit is very limited by every believer being pulled out. God, what a dark day that will be. And how evil will triumph. And how we even see it throughout the book of Revelation that a one world government will advance and that, a, uh, that armies and wars will take place. And, and God, your judgment will be poured out on this earth. God, may we be burdened with reaching people today while there's still time, while there's a good opportunity for people to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. God, I pray that you'd burden our hearts with reaching the lost. Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, maybe you just want to pray for somebody that you know that's lost. He says, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Where there's a good time right now to reach men, reach people with the gospel. We need to be getting gospel tracks out. 